the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Have you ever seen anybody use a virtual reality game? Anybody? A few of you? Okay, this won't be as funny as I thought because nobody's seen this happen. Here, here's how it works. You put on these goggles and inside the, you're, you're in the video game. And so, every, you know, you're shooting or you're punching or you're running or you're dodging. And it makes total sense to you because you're totally engulfed in this thing. And it's really fun to you. But everybody else just sees you going like this. It just looks so crazy because they have a bigger perspective than you do. They're more aware of what's going on. You're aware of things they're not aware of because you're totally immersed in that thing. But they see the big picture. It's a lot like that with us and God. Whenever we're facing something, all we see is that thing. We're just dealing with that thing. And whether it's real or it's imagined, whether it's some sort of a anxious thought in our hearts where it's a absolute real suffering, it consumes us. That's what we're dealing with. But God can see it from a bigger perspective. It makes a little bit more sense. And whenever we can touch that, whenever we can start to experience that, to see life from an eternal perspective, that's when we really start to experience the hope and the peace that Jesus promised, that Jesus made possible. The the concept of peace in the whole Bible is far deeper than what we normally settle for. Normally the idea of peace here in our culture is kind of a calm feeling or a lack of anxiety, a lack of violence, a lack of conflict. But in the scriptures, both the Old Testament, the Hebrew word shalom, the New Testament, the Greek word irene, it means wholeness, completeness. It's a sense of unity and that's based on a shared purpose. It's, it's something that's way bigger than how you feel about that thing at the time. It's way bigger than any of those things that we sometimes associate with peace. Because it has to do with eternity. It has to do with God himself. It has to do with the gift that God promised and made possible through Jesus called eternal life. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 2, Do not love the world or the things in the world. You've got to pause one more time. There's two ways that the Bible talks about the world. The kind, way he's talking about here is what he's not talking about the people in the world. He's talking about all the counterfeit answers there are in the world. All the different other ways, alternatives that the world gives us. This is where you could find peace. This is how you could feel peaceful. This is how you could experience more hope than God could give you. That kind of idea is what he's talking about here. When Jesus says that God loved the world, he means the people. Does that make sense? All right, so jump back in. John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That word abide is another big one that we don't use much outside of church, but it means to be fully present and always present. If you abide in Christ, that your whole life is rooted in him. Everything you do, everything you believe, everything you experience. If Christ abides in you, he is the fuel that fuels everything that you do. 
Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you, John writes. If what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Life that's bigger than the decades that we get here. Way bigger than the weeks or months that we're dealing with right this second. Way bigger than the minutes or hours that are consuming you in your heart and your soul and your emotions right now. And when I say your, I mean all of us, mine, that's colloquial, all of our, the stuff that just tears us up. And this idea of eternal life is exactly what Jesus came to give us. He said this, God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And this theme of eternal life that isn't just something we experience on the other side of death or on the other side of Christ's return, but it's something that starts now, something that starts when you start following Jesus in the here and now, and then transcends those big pivotal moments that are coming. That's something Jesus said over and over. Here are just a couple. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He said, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. You might still be asking, so, but what does this have to do with peace? I thought we were talking about peace. This is where the peace is, brothers and sisters, when we invest in eternal matters. Instead of being consumed by the moment, by the exact thing that we're dealing with right this minute when we can step back. And let me tell you, this is hard for me. This is hard for every human being. If this is hard for you, you're not alone. But this is it. This is the truth. This is what I'm learning. This is what I hope we're learning together. When we see from God's perspective, when we take a few steps back and not only just see, but we invest in an eternal perspective. We focus the gifts that he's given us in the things that we know are going to last. Relationships, for example. Helping more people come into the kingdom of God. Helping more people come back to the kingdom of God. Deepening the relationships. Sharing love with the world. The more that we do these things, the more we experience peace. And and peace in the biblical sense. A purpose-based unity that can't be created just by deciding not to fight anymore. There's something deeper that only God can give us. And when we invest, fully invest in things that help us restore or sustain or share God's peace and eternal perspective and everything else that he gives us, that's when we experience what he promised, what the angels proclaimed that night. This is true. This was true for Mary and Joseph the night that Jesus was born. I I guarantee you in that smelly, dirty, messy old place they were stuck in that night all alone no family around except the two of them just a bunch of animals they weren't feeling this lack of anxiety this glorious sense of 
peace that we think of when we think about peace today. They had given up everything. They had given up what they thought their marriage would look like. They had given up their relationships because people thought that Mary had done something really bad. You know what I'm talking about? They'd given up all of that stuff. They weren't experienced something in the moment that was just innately peaceful, like a really nice smelling candle and a good cup of coffee or whatever it is that makes you feel peaceful. But they had peace because they were together. They had together decided to do something that was going to matter in all eternity. And in that moment, God met them and God sent other people into that night to be with them. God himself was comforting them. And God himself was there as the person of Jesus in ways that he had never been before. There was another night when baby Jesus had grown up and he was now adult Jesus. And he's going, it's the night that his suffering started. The night he was betrayed, the night he went to the garden. And he met with his disciples one last night. It was a pivotal moment for all of them. And he took a lot of time to demonstrate his love for them in tangible ways and to promise them some things that would give them hope and give them peace. The Holy Spirit was going to come. They would have uh, heaven on the other side. He said, there's room for everybody. He promises and tells them more about how he's going to return. He uses the beautiful picture of the vine and the branches to talk about how he was going to still abide in them and they could still abide in him even after he was going to leave. And in the midst of all that, he also told them there was going to be persecution and there was going to be a whole bunch of other terrible things that were going to happen. And yet there would be peace. It was in the middle of all of that that he said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And he also prayed for them. In that moment, he stood. It says this, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Here's one more word we got to make sure we understand what we're talking about. When we talk about glory, sometimes we just think about like shiny bright lights or something like that. Glory, glory is just the big hyper production. But it's, it's more, this, the words we translate, the, the, the phrases we translate as glory, it's more about revealing what something really is or just focusing on it. It's kind of like when you get a beautiful picture or painting and you frame it and you pick out just right, the right frame. Do you, does that make sense? And, and, and it's not that the frame is the thing or that the picture is not enough, but you pick out the right frame, it, it makes it pop out more. You see just how beautiful that thing is. And it's, it's that kind of an idea. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to show the world who I really am. I'm going to show the world who you really are. It's that moment. And also in that moment, here's what he prays. And this is eternal life. And I love this. This is where he defines it for us. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
We know him. We experience him. We sense his presence. We consult him. We get real answers in various different ways. We follow his lead. We stay at it even when we're not tangibly aware of what he's doing at the moment. We do what he told us last, the thing we're the most sure of, and we stay at that. And we listen because he might tell us something fresh and something very specific in the moment. But we stay at it. And this is where the peace happens. This is where we have in the midst of a storm, we have peace. In the midst of suffering, we have peace. In the midst of persecution, we have peace because we see the whole picture. We're still abiding in the one who gets it all and he's still abiding in us. Are you feeling some hope in that? Are you feeling some peace? It's way bigger than anything we can do. But there are some things that we can do. And here at this season, there are so many cool things that we do annually. Every family has their own little spin on it. There's so many cool celebrations and things that we do that have the potential to really build peace in the scriptural sense. And the idea that we are finding purpose-based unity more than ever before. We are getting an eternal perspective in life. We are intentionally, strategically building rhythms and building his kingdom in ways that are going to restore and going to sustain what's good, going to share the peace of God. But I think it's a good thing for all of us to ask some good questions as we approach this season every year. And This is not judgment on anybody. I just think this is a good thing for all of us to do. How exactly are the things that we are doing helping us to focus on those things? How how exactly is the specific ways that each of us as a church, as families, as small groups, as individuals, how how is what we are doing actually experiencing and promoting and building peace in the world? How are, we, how are our relationships getting strengthened? What kind of habits are we keeping going for really, really good reasons? We say a lot of things like, Jesus is the reason for the season. Or it's not about the presence under the tree, it's about his presence in our lives. We, we like little slogans like that, I guess, as Christians. And they're, they're good, they're true. But there's a deeper, I, I think we owe it to Jesus. We owe it to each other. We owe it to our own eternal souls to keep asking, but is, is what I'm doing actually, is it actually that? And, and if so, hallelujah, how can I get even better at it? And if not, what can I do different? Because we do everything we do in light of all eternity. Another one we like is the gift that keeps on giving. Jesus is a gift that keeps on giving. Or the much better one that's straight out of the Bible itself. Jesus is the prince of peace. But if Jesus is what it's really all about, we could ask some really good questions like, what if we just didn't do some of the things we tend to take for granted? What if we don't exchange gifts this year? What if we serve instead? What if our family doesn't really like getting together as much as going on a road trip? What if we do a Christmas road trip? Which thing would actually create peace? I'm not saying you shouldn't gather. Don't hear me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't give gifts. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, what if we ask those questions? What would be the best possible way in light of all eternity 
to actually really celebrate what Jesus did for us. Maybe your family doesn't really like turkey or ham or some of the more traditional foods, but you like pizza. What if you order pizza for Christmas dinner and nobody has to slave in the kitchen and nobody has to do dishes and you just be together? I'm not saying Christmas dinner is bad. I like it. But are you hearing, just what if we ask those questions? Is what we're doing. See, see on, the, on the flip side of that, here's, here's what I'd like to reassure you. Everybody's going, don't you dare. How dare you? I hear you. We have good, eternal, scriptural reasons to eat together, to decorate, to celebrate, to give, to share. All of those things are good and holy. It's, it, it, and if the way you're doing it right this minute is exactly what means the most to you and your family and the people you're trying to reach out to, then hallelujah, praise the Lord, stay on course. It's just, it's, it helps about everything when we take a couple steps back and we say, is this really the best possible way we can express what Jesus is done for us? Is this the best possible way we can prepare for his return? Another thing that we can do besides these habits, these annual things, these weekly things, these monthly things, is to invest in pivotal moments. This is something that Jesus was really good at. And, um, but this is where we have a consistent and strategic way to, to deal with the surprises of life. Some people that are really, really good at that in the Christmas story is the shepherds. And these shepherds were absolutely geniuses at all of this. See, they had an eternal perspective all along. The shepherds of Bethlehem were actually the, the kind of an elite group of shepherds that took care of the Passover lambs. And they were the ones who not only just protected them and guided them around like all shepherds do, but they had a special job that when a new Passover lamb was born, they had to inspect them and make sure they had no blemishes. And then they would wrap them in swaddling clothes just like they did babies at that time to make sure that they didn't get hurt, that nothing messed them up. It was the, I, I think it's obviously no accident that those were the shepherds that the angels came the night the lamb of God was born. And that they got sent to inspect him. It's pretty cool. But that's what they did. They had this ongoing rhythm that the Passover looked back to everything God had done for his people up to that point. Looked back especially to the Passover and God setting his people free from slavery in Egypt and all of that. It looked back and it celebrated that and looked forward to the Messiah. It was an annual thing that mattered so much and they got it and they had a very vital role to play in that process and they did it diligently. But at the same time, when this pivotal moment came, when angels from God himself showed up and said, guess what? The Messiah is here. I love that it said that, and the angel, the shepherds said to one another, let's go and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. And at once they left the sheep there for a second and they went to see the newborn king. And this is what it's like when we, we, we keep the big stuff going and it's just how it is, but then we deal with the stuff that just happens well. 
See, there's always going to be these pivotal moments. And Jesus talked about that in his big image we talked about last week, where he says when he comes back, it's going to be like a shepherd separating parts of his flock. And the ones who got it right were the ones that when they found somebody who was hungry, they fed them. When they found somebody who was thirsty, they gave them something to drink. Somebody needed shelter, they gave it to them. It wasn't so much that those were right things to do that they just had to do. They weren't earning their way to heaven, but they naturally got it. They saw things from an eternal perspective and they realized this is what we need to do right now. There's something that shapes our hearts when we walk on by and do nothing. And there's something that shapes our hearts and our eternal souls when we stop and help. That's what Jesus was trying to tell us. These eternal habits... In these pivotal moments. Jesus was a master at this. Even that night that he went, he knew what was coming. He knew that this was a huge pivotal moment, way bigger than they could imagine. But he took time to wash their feet. He took time to teach them all those things. He took time to set up communion and and say, hey, I want you to keep doing this. When you get together later, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my broken body, my shed blood. When you get together, I want you to do this. And this is one of those things that needs to happen over and over and over again. I want you to remember. And I want you to remember since I did all this up to this point, guess what? I'm coming back. You can trust that I'm gonna come back. I want you to look forward to me coming back. Even the way he dealt with sin was like that. You remember how Jesus said that if your right hand or your your right foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. And every time we look at that verse, we always go, oh, hold on. Jesus doesn't like us to cut off our hands. Everybody relax. But you know what he does mean here? He wants us to do whatever it takes. If for some reason cutting off an arm or a leg would actually help you spend eternity better, starting now, help you know Jesus better, that would be worth it. And that's his point. Not that you cut off your arm or leg, but that you're willing to do whatever it would take in every pivotal moment and actually connect with him. And this paradigm, this way of looking at life, this way of looking at literally everything in life, what we do in church, what we do in our cars, what we do at home, what we do at work, this eternal perspective, that's where the peace is. And that's, where the, that's why the church grew so fast. In Acts 13, if you have never read the book of Acts, just jump in the middle. That one, it gives you a good synopsis of a lot of things happening. That was, that was where they first thought of, hey, you know what? Instead of just kind of naturally as people move, we'll spread the gospel. What if we sent people out on mission trips? Let's send Bar- Paul and Barnabas to start some churches. Let's get strategic about this because we need to get this done. And then it follows Paul and Barnabas on that trip and starts seeing how they reached out to these people and these people. And when they got invited by a guy named Sergius Paulus to go and speak to some Romans, they did it. And you see this strategy and you see these pivotal moments. This is how they faced everything in life. And that's why we know about the gospel today. Because other people got it and lived that way. And let me tell you, this holiday season, I guarantee you a couple of things, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but somebody is going to have car trouble. Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to have some issues that you're going to need and I'm going to need to help work out. 
Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're here in church. Maybe they're people none of us know, but they're somehow or another, we're going to come into contact with them. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Somebody's going to have needs that need met. Somebody's not going to be able to even imagine what real peace is like. And those of us who get it will have a chance to share it. May we be prepared for those pivotal moments. It all comes down to being able to truly trust God. Because when we see what God's done in the past, we have hope and peace and courage about the future. Paul writes, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing. And that's kind of a weird phrase, but it means you're constantly staying at it. It's faithfulness. It's patience, absolutely. But it's, all, it's perseverance. It's staying at it. It's not expecting like, well, where's the results right this second? Come on. You stay at it. You're persistent. For those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. One more super fast Bible story for you. How many remember the story of Zacchaeus? Perfect. If there was, it's in Luke 19, by the way. If you haven't read it, don't know the whole thing, you need to always go back and hear it. All these scriptures and many more are actually in your study notes as well that are in your bulletin or given to you digitally. But if there was ever anybody in Jesus' day who was 100% invested in the here and now and being selfish, it was the Jewish tax collectors. To be a Jewish tax collector, you had to not follow God, not care about your family, not care about doing the right thing, put all your trust in yourself, in money, and in the people who had conquered your people. That's why they hated him so much. But in this one day, this one pivotal moment when Jesus came to town and Zacchaeus climbed that tree to get a better look at him and Jesus came by and invited him to come or actually invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. In that one day, everything changed. And you see what happened next. You see that Zacchaeus not only paid everybody back and just randomly gave a whole bunch of stuff away, but he began a whole new life where a whole new paradigm, whole new way of looking at everything where he realized he was going to live for eternity, not for right this minute. And literally everything changed. It's so fun and so easy to remember that in times like this where we're all kind of in a room with people who mostly agree about all this stuff. But it's a struggle, isn't it? It's a struggle on the day to day. And what about this thing that blew up in my face? What about this one? It's so hard. That's why Paul says to fight the good fight of faith. It's not a violent kind of a fight. But it is a fight. We get a struggle to hold on to this hope and this peace. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
And brothers and sisters, here's one I know God's wanting from us as a church, as individuals, families, small groups, all the ways that we interact in this holiday season. Some of the stuff that we always have to keep doing is what our church is always about, helping people become fully devoted, fully equipped followers of Jesus. My encouragement to you, you can encourage me the same. Our, make sure that we keep extending grace to each other, to our families, to strangers, to new people, that we're watching for visitors. We're inviting new people to come and join us or join our families or whatever else. Make sure that we're still investing in youth. Make sure we're investing in things that are going to be eternal. We don't get too caught up in the things that just really hurt or really feel good right this minute. And as we invest in pivotal moments, remember, there's going to be some that we should just watch for. There's nothing, there's no way we can control them. Just kind of be aware, be ready when the crazy stuff happens. Be prepared to react in an eternal way. But maybe, maybe some of these, maybe some of these little traditions we have, maybe you're going to create some pivotal moments or hit the brakes on one or do something else just so that everybody in your family and your closest circle can experience peace better this year. God always is hoping that we change. He loves us as we are. He sent his son to die for us and rise again as we were. He always is there reaching out to us as we are. And he's always doing that so that we can be transformed. Paul says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This isn't me shaking my fist and saying all of y'all need to repent. I know most of y'all. I think you're doing well. But I promise you there are things that I have to repent of, things that each one of us does still need to switch around. There's some ways that we need to switch how we look at things. If it's not a specific thing that's just demonstrably wrong and sinful, there's probably some things that we do that are really from a very selfish perspective and maybe we give those up not because they're wrong for everybody but because that's us still holding on to some control we think we have and don't there's probably something for each one of you i know there's some things in this today that i need to hear that i need to do and as we stand and as we sing here in these last couple minutes i'm asking you to make that choice if you've never given your life to jesus in the first place please do that All you have to do is just walk forward, tell us about it. We've got dry clothes and all that stuff. We could baptize you in the whole thing just this morning. If it's any other decision you'd like to make public, if you just want prayer, this is the safest place you're going to see this week to just ask somebody to pray for you. We'd love to help. Let's stand, let's sing, let's take some steps in the direction of Jesus this morning.